0: Samantha Lewis here, and I'm back with Jay Heiser and Barry Render, authors of Pearson's Market Leading Operations Management title. And today on the podcast, they'll be speaking about
1: project management. Thanks, Samantha. I'm Barry Render. I'm here with Jay Heiser. Project management is chapter three in our textbook, and it's it deals with how to manage projects. It's something that all of us face in life. Uh, in other words, you could be building a home, you could create a project to write new software, to do payroll, uh, to do artificial intelligence, or it could be something like just working with your classmates on a on a term project uh, in terms of, of managing that.
0: Barry, uh, today, let's talk about special kind of projects, big projects really big projects. They are different and typically big projects sort of by definition are very complex and they're full of unknowns. Our global profile in chapter, that we've been chapter three with, features Bechtel, a $22 billion firm with 55,000 employees. Bechtel specializes in planning the management of mega projects. That's their forte, include bridges, tunnels, office towers, airports, telescopes, even venues and logistics for the Olympics. These topics often have budgets that are in the billions of dollars.
1: But a lot of them don't work is what one of the points we wanna make today. And I'm gonna give you a couple examples right now. Uh, Denmark had what's called the Great Belt Project, a mega project that involved connecting the islands with the mainland by bridges and tunnels and so on. And the project, just never was completed successfully. It was was over budget and it just didn't meet what its goals were. When I think of other recent projects in the United States, I think of the California, we have a high speed railroad line we're trying to connect along the West Coast and it was budgeted at $33 billion. It's up to $128 billion now and it won't even go where it's promised. As a matter of fact, I just read an article from a California state senator who said, this project is on life support.
0: All right, just to reinforce that point, Barry, uh, Dan Gardner and an Oxford professor, Brent Freiberg, just wrote an interesting book, How Big Things Get Done. Actually, I'm a little surprised at the title. I think it would have sold better been more interesting to be told the truth. The book is really about why big things don't get done. Brent spent decades studying the many ways major projects go wrong and the few ways to get them right. He summarizes what he learned from his research and real-world experience in the book, and in a current article as well in the Academy of Management Perspectives.
1: Yeah, Jim, I read that book also. What Fliber couldn't understand was with the trillions of dollars that were spent on project that no one really knew if they were on schedule or on budget. So he took five years, and he put together a list of 258 major infrastructure projects, for example, the Holland Tunnel in New York, uh, the Bay Area rapid transit system in San Francisco, BART, uh, the channel that connects um, England and France, the tunnel underwater. And he said that awful performance, he concluded, was perfectly normal. Awful performance was normal.
0: <laughs> Brian Burke became obsessed, you may recall, Barry. I do. His regional 258 projects became 16,000 projects, from skyscrapers to airports, to museums, concert halls, nuclear reactors, roads, hydroelectric dams, across 136 countries. Projects call shapes and sizes. In its conclusion, big things get done very badly. They cost too much. They take too long. They fall short of expectations. Fryberg calls it the iron log of major projects. Quote over budget, over time, under benefits, over and over again," end of quote.
1: What really interested me in his findings was that he could distill it into three pitiful numbers. The first number is that 48 percent of all these mega projects were on budget, eight and a half half percent were on budget and on time, and 0.5 percent, a half of one percent, of these projects were on budget, on time, with the projected benefits that they had made.
0: His conclusion, Barry, was people struggle with mega projects for the simple reason, they're people. He suggests that we're humans and optimistic by nature and like to underestimate how long to complete future tasks. It doesn't, doesn't seem no matter how many times we fall prey to cognitive bias, it is repeated, and he calls it the planning fallacy, suggesting that we like to ignore our previous mishaps and delude ourselves into believing that this time it'll be different. He suggests managers are played by the psychology of unrealistic optimism. However, there are other issues, and many projects, particularly major projects, often have an unknown element. Major projects don't take place in controlled environments. By definition, they're big, but makes them different and suggests we recognize the risk by expecting the unexpected. Another important element, element is the elephant in the room. And if you will, it's funding. There's no project without funding.
1: Well, the key in a successful project is planning. The mega projects tend to be late because they didn't spend enough time planning, which actually drives realism. In other words, if you're working on a major construction project, you don't start digging till you know exactly what you're doing. An example of a successful mega project was, um, you may have heard of Frank Gehry, he's a famous architect. He was hired to build the Guggenheim uh, Art Museum in, uh, in Spain, and he spent two years in his studio just tinkering with the project before he did anything, but he was able to finish the project on time. And under the hundred million dollar budget budget that it was that it was projected for, now in Flyberg's book he also suggests using modules. That is, dividing a project into smaller pieces, and then you make bigger things from these smaller pieces. Now, Jay, I know you were in the software business for many years, and I'm assuming you also used that modular approach uh, when you were developing some of your software. Is that true?
0: I think it's the only way to get it done. You divide the project into small, manageable pieces where you have some sense of what the resources required, what the sources are that are required, and then you attack that. But I would point out, Barry, that there are a couple other examples in regard regard to successful projects that do have planning in the element, but they also have another interesting feature. And that is Admiral Rickover built the first nuclear submarine in three years. And the Empire State Building was built in 21 months by John Raskov and Al Smith. And the Apple iPod went from a project with a single employee to a product launch in 11 months with Steve Jobs heading it. Now, if you go back and look up those three people, you'll find out they're ruthless planning managers. So just a little hint for our students about the kind of leadership it takes to be a successful manager of major projects. All three were aggressive planning managers.
1: Well, it's a fascinating topic. I'm glad we had a chance to go over it. I think that's, that students will gain a great deal from reading chapter three of our book. And it was great to spend time with you today talking about this subject, Jay.
0: Well, let me summarize by saying the planning has a common denominator and that's the realistic planning. It helps us constrain optimism. It helps us look for the unexpected to reduce risks. It helps us consider building with modules and it's helped us drive for realistic funding. Very good to chat with you today. I hope our students have fun reading the chapter on plenty in our book.
1: Thanks, Jane.